This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the Old City of Jerusalem. At Asia Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount, today we're going to discuss the most important thing in all of creation, literally the most important thing. Now, who knows the most important thing in all of creation? Raise your hand. Let's give a guess. Come on. Show the crowd. Show the crowd. Yeah, let's hear what's the most important thing in all creation. Give a hand. God. Daniel. God. God, okay, very nice. Purpose of living. Purpose of living. Purpose, yeah, we discussed that. Were you here yesterday? For Who else got one? Yes. Connection with God. Very nice. Someone mentioned that a second ago. So, first of all, you all answered beautifully. <laughs> Bye. Ah, oh, shoot, kept that on. So, I love ringers. So, the um, the best is when you get this. You get this like, you know, this really like homely girl with like big thick glasses, you know, and all of a sudden you get this like heavy metal ringer, <laughs> and you're like, what's going on over there, man? So, okay, so the uh, so the most important thing for sure is God. But the most important thing we're going to be discussing is another most important thing, and it relates to God a lot, and that is desire, ratzon. Ratzon is the most important thing, ratzon, desire. Now, I probably should have started the class this way. Let's start again. (laughs) Please raise your hand and let me know what the Brooklyn Bridge is made of. Stone. Stone? Bricks. Bricks? Oh, it rhymes with Brook, Brooklyn. Yeah. Metal. Metal. Okay, raise your hand. What's airplanes made of? Airplane grade? Aluminum. Okay, aluminum. Titanium is too expensive. Okay, aluminum. Okay. What is... What's your clothing made of? Material. Material, fabric, cotton, wool. What is the... What are what is your what is your extremely powerful technological smartphone made of? So the answer is all of you are right once again, and all of you are wrong. What everything I just mentioned just now is made of is desire. It's made of desire because people in Brooklyn got tired of the travel to Manhattan to go to work, and when enough people desired it, enough people desired it, they eventually built the Brooklyn Bridge. And the people who made the bricks that built that bridge, you know, I mean, it's not made of bricks, but part of it is. The, uh, and there's a lot of stone involved and stuff. They desired to feed their families, and so there they were. And the, and the people who studied engineering, because that's civil engineering, that's heavy-duty stuff, they desired to earn their living with their, with their you know, their skill sets. And they, they developed those skill sets because they desired it. And so the bridge is ultimately made of the desire for people in Brooklyn and people in Manhattan to get back and forth in a quicker fashion. And that's the, what the airplane's made of. And the fabric of your clothing's made out of the desire of, of someone to make, um, at least for some of you, for a creative person to create, you know, out of their creativity. That was the designer. And also, you know, um, the people who sewed the fabrics, made the piece goods and all that, they desired to feed their families with their handiwork. And... Um, you know, everything's really made of desire, and your cell phone's made out of the desire of people to communicate and for life to be more convenient. 
People want that. There's a desire for that. And, uh, but everything you have ever seen in your life is made out of desire. Your, your very flesh is made out of the desire for your parents for one another. There is nothing you will ever see or look at that it's not built out of desire. That's it. That's what the world's made of. So therefore, it's the most impo- <laughs> That was kind of golf course. <laughs> His was kind of microbrewery over there. So anyway, the, we're going to have a ringer contest here. Um, Anyway, it, both your men, men don't use ringers, man. Like, it's alarm. Oh, okay. Alarms are fine. No, the ringers are for women's purses. You know, just to fish it out. <laughs> <laughs> when men use ringers, it's like, it's like letting people know you're popular or something. You know, it's like, look, people call me. <laughs> our phones are always against our bodies, so like, it's supposed to be a very discreet thing that someone's interrupting your conversation. Of course, if you're not enjoying the conversation, just turn your ringer on. Now, the, the, um, yeah, so everything, everything is made of desire. That's it. Well, guess what? If you want to get anything done, you better get your desire totally honed in. You got to be laser beam desire if you want to get something done. Laser beam desire. And if you're not getting something done, if you've noticed you've had trouble getting things done, you probably don't know what you want. And that's a lot of people. A lot of people don't want, know what they want. I interviewed a boy yesterday, 21 years old. I asked him what he wants. I'm not going to tell you what he answered. But it was, uh, no, it was very generic. It, it was a Hasidic kid, and he wants to learn Torah and serve God, because there's nothing sweeter than that. And that was really great. I liked the answer. It was a great answer. But then I asked him another question. I said, but, but, but what do you want? Not meaning what do you want as opposed to that. You should want that, and I'm glad he wants that. I, but what do you want? Like, what's your vision? Like, why'd God make you? Because when you learn that particular piece of door and I learn that piece of door, it comes out the same. Or you make a bracha and I make a bracha, it comes out the same. You know, it's the same <laughs> words. Like, but what do you want that's unique about you? I mean, what's your dream? What's your vision? What? What do you, what, what do you, what difference should it have, what difference do you want it to have made that you were in the world? Other than that generic, you know, barcode thing that you learned Torah and you prayed. Did mitzvahs. So what, what are you doing here? He didn't have an answer for that. And can I get a showing of hands where everyone has to vote? Because maybe I'm doing something stupid here. To marry my daughter's you have to have a vision for yourself. Is that right? Am I crazy? Am I going to like wind up making these ladies like old maids? <laughs> okay, raise your hand. If to marry Rabbi Glazer's daughter, you have to have a vision. Raise your hand. Everyone has to vote. It depends what the vision is. No, no, you have to have a personal vision. I don't care what the vision is. You just got to have a vision to even get in the pool of dating one of my daughters. You got to have some personal vision beyond the generic Judaism vision. Okay, raise your hand if, yes, they mu- the guy should have a vision to get in the dating pool. Okay, raise your hand if it's enough that at 20 years old, the guy's interested in Torah and mitzvahs, and it's sweet there. What's your daughter like? Yeah, I mean, yeah. 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 
up to my daughter. <laughs> Welcome to the Hasidic community. We'll be letting her know who the guy is. Okay? So, yeah, this is not up to my daughter. Yeah. I mean, I interview them, obviously. I interview my daughters, but... I have a daughter. I have a daughter who's literally set up to marry a guy who wants to stay in the sweetness of Turin Mitzvahs and never look, up, never look outside that bubble. I have a daughter for that. But it's not this daughter. Yeah. Anyway, okay, it seemed like most of you voted that. I'm not crazy. Okay, great. I, I have to say, though, I am a little disappointed that our community it hasn't produced a lot of men for my daughter. I mean, I don't believe a person should have lived a, a quarter of his life figuring if you live till 80, so you lived a quarter of your life, and these are the formative years, that in all your formative years, no one ever directed you towards maybe having a personal purpose. A personal purpose. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of pretty sad, in my opinion. Now, in all fairness, I have to go back to me being 20. <laughs> Yeah, I was waving a lot of banners at 20, for sure. I was, I was big time on personal purpose. Okay, never mind. I thought maybe I was a hypocrite and busted. But no, at 20 I was... But then again, I was raised... Yeah, I was raised secular. And I had a serious purpose built in. It was built into me. Like, yeah, your life should make a difference. The fact that you were here should matter. Specifically, based on you. Okay, back to desire. The reason we're he- the, the most important thing in your life is to know what you want, because once you know what you want, you'll get it. Give you an example. Please uh, raise your hands. Everyone raise your hands, please. If you've ever wanted something really badly. Ever in your life, raise your hands if you ever want. It should be all of you. I mean, I can't imagine someone's got their hand down. Raise them high. Come on, I don't want an L. I want a vote. Okay, if you ever wanted something badly. Raise your hand if you ever wanted something badly. Okay, great. And now keep your hand up. No, no, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. You wanted it really badly. Keep your hand up if you got it. So what you'll notice is, and by the way, those of you who put your hand down, you just chose something that you didn't get. But in fact, you got most of the stuff you've ever wanted badly. And the majority of people had their hands up. Because we have a saying in Judaism, (laughs) In the way that a person wants to go, God will lead you there. God has set up this universe to actually conspire with your desire. The world conspires with desire. Now you notice in the words, in the way that a man wants to go, it's molichin is plural or singular? Plural. They take him there. Wherever you want to go, they take you there. Well, who's they? Aren't we monotheists? Shouldn't it say, he takes you there? The desires. He takes you the desires? No, it's not the desires. Who's they? So the answer is that there is a giant parallel system that comes down from the light of God all the way down, filter, 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 filtered universe, like worlds, parallel worlds coming down that ultimately coagulate into our world. Inside that world, it's filled with entities called malachim. They're called malachim. So, like, it's like a molecular system, only it's molecular. 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 It's a molecular system. And it's filled with malachim, which are these entities. There's, like, the, the, you know how many there are? I actually found out how many there are. 
a godzillion. Because only God knows how many zillions there are. Okay? It's a godzillion. There's a godzillion amount of molecular, be- molecular beings that fill the universe. And guess what? Their job, you know what their job is? Their job is to respond to desire. Their job is to respond to desire. They are literally intermediaries that work, I'm sorry, conduits that work exactly like this electricity up above. Because think about it, every bit of line of electricity that gets to this light bulb right above me, every bit of that line is really just an entity that's receiving a message from above and is coming down this way. Now, if I doused it in water, it would send a message back up to the circuit breaker saying, like, you know, like, stop before, you know, there's real trouble. So it would, it would make a power out here for the switch, the circuit breaker for this particular room. It could be, it'll get a message that way, too. But generally, it's going this way. And God's system works both ways, too. And there's actually a third way. So there's a first way, which is called, you can practice some Hebrew, it's called Or Yashar. Try that, Or Yashar. That's when God's infinite light comes to create our world, filtered out, filtered through the worlds, so that we can have actual physicality, this holographic projection all around you right now. That's all coming from Or Yashar. Then there's something that when you do a mitzvah, you do a prayer, or you desire something. So it sends up into the system something called or choser, which is called returning light. Try the word or choser. Or choser. Or choser means returning light. And the, um, actually, uh, 25 years ago, I played in a rock band called the Returning Light Band, which was really cute, God rock, Ball Chuba Band, the old city. Anyway. The, um, that's called Or Choser. Now, what happens is your Or Choser meets the Or Yashar. Because think about it. The Or Yashar is always coming because the world doesn't disappear. It keeps coming. And, you know, and for those who are really more philosophical types, you should know that it's strobing from nothing into something at all times. Meaning it's not just coming. It's strobing. This is also strobing, meaning it's just strobing very fast. A fluorescent strobe slow. <coughs> so you can actually, if you wave your hand in front of a fluorescent, your hand breaks up. You know, like it's under front of a stroke. This is a, a fancier lighting, so you're not going to see it. It's moving fast. But the, uh, but the, uh, the ore of Hashem that's coming into the world, the ore Yashar, the straight light, straight in, is strobing it from nothing to something. Meaning a lot of you think that like today's kind of going off, the, it's going off the steam of yesterday. It's like, meaning like this minute somehow carried on from last minute. But tell me, was there anything in last minute that has the power to create the world? Is there anything in the world that creates the world? Is there, was there anything in the power of a minute ago's reality of all the universe that has in it the power to make this minute? No. There's nothing in there that powers anything. Nothing. All of this is being powered. And it's being powered from nothingness into somethingness at all times. And it's really an amazing concept. Because imagine, imagine God like had to do a major adjustment. So he could actually strobe us off... Go do some work behind the scenes, you know. Just deal with some stuff that needs dealing with. And then strobe us back in. Would, us, would we notice that? No. We wouldn't notice that at all. Like being in a coma. Yeah, you just wake up. And... So he's doing this all the time, meaning, meaning we are being created from nothingness at all times. And that nothingness is happening just as often as the somethingness. It's just that it's moving so fast that we're only seeing the somethingness because what reference do you have for nothingness? You don't have any reference for nothing. And it's also going so fast that your mind would never catch it anyway. 
So it's, it's not possible to catch it. Although deja vu probably relates to this a little bit, that you're like getting, uh, maybe you're getting a little ahead of yourself or something. So everyone thinks seems like a memory for a little while, but it might be related deja vu. You're kind of ahead of things. Um, by the way, the Kabbalists teach us that we're actually even on a lag system, which is kind of crazy, that God set up a lag system. So like what you're hearing right now, everything that's happening, including my own free will to speak, is a little bit lagged. <laughs> which is like, I don't know how much lag is, you know, it's like eight seconds. You know? <laughs> but everything's a little lagged, and I wonder why it's lagged. It's a little strange, but the... Uh, but one of the greatest Kabbalists ever lived, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Shla Kodesh, says it's, we're on a lag. So if the Shla says we're on a lag, we're on a lag. You know? so, so God's creating it with a tiny lag. Now, why do they put radio on lag or TV on lag is to deal with someone saying something really crazy. You know, so they can deal with that real quick. You know, put in a beep or something. So, I mean, how do they beep live television? And the answer is it's on a bit of a lag. So they... Uh, so they can beep it. And so we're also on a lag. Anyway, we're not here to discuss that. What we are here to discuss is that this molecular system is built to respond to desire. So you've got to really know what you want. And it so responds to desire, I mean, it so conspires to desire that, that it'll even let you have what you didn't want. Raise your hand if you ever, you don't have to flip the camera on this one. Raise your hand, raise, no one's going to be seen on that. Raise your hand if you ever wanted something you shouldn't have had. Meaning, according to Judaism, like, that probably wasn't the right thing. You know, whatever it was, it could have been a shrimp cocktail. I mean, it could have been anything. You, know? <laughs> you ever had something you shouldn't have had? Okay, uh, keep your hand up if God let you have it. <laughs> so what you start to realize is how mature God is and how immature religion is. <laughs> Meaning, religions like turn God into this, like, you know, very religious figure. But, ladies and gentlemen, God is not religious, okay? And he's... And, he's, and, and you could even perhaps argue that God hates religion. And because if, you know, imagine someone stole your identity on Facebook or, or uh, whatever it's called. Uh, what are all those things called? Social media. Yeah, whatever, social media. <laughs> imagine, God, imagine someone stole your identity. Well, if, has anyone's identity been stolen more than God's? And God's the number one. Think about it. You in this room who all know that God's an unknowable being. Nevertheless, if I ask you to think about God, you're going to try to, you'll have some concept, which is automatically wrong. And now all we have to do is give you a status as a rabbi, priest, monk, Ewok, or whatever you call it. And, and you're instantly going to start telling everybody who God is. You're just instantly going to start telling people who God is based on some concept that he cannot possibly be. Because any concept you'd have of God is automatically not who he is. Because a concept has border and limit. You know, if it's cold, it ain't hot. If it's wet, it's not dry. It's something, therefore, it's not another thing. Well, how could God possibly be that concept? Because God's not limited by, by anything, not by concept, not by space and time, not by nothing. It's an unlimited, infinite reality that any thought you'd have of it is automatically not who it is. And they, and they certainly made it into a religious being because, because you know, as if, like, you do something wrong and God's like, like, don't. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. How could you have done it? God's the one who orchestrated it for you. God's like, oh, that's what you aim to do? 
all right. I mean, <laughs> I set up the world for desire. So if you desire the wrong things, well, I guess there's not much I can do about that. So, so let's go. So for those who are raised religious, I suggest you take a step back from that place and, and start to grow up with your concepts of God and start to realize how, how awesome Hashem is, how awesome this being is. I mean, you are not nearly as forgiving and loving as God is. You never have known anyone like that. I, all of us are supposed to be like that, but I hope by the time I'm an old man, I'm, I'm as giving and forgiving as God is for people making stupid moves. <laughs> I'm getting there, though. <laughs> I watched a guy who was driving to Page Shemesh for a meeting today. <laughs> I'm on the highway. It's two lanes, both directions. Beautiful highway they made, by the way. I, I got to Page Shemesh from Nachlot in 20 minutes. I mean, that's pretty darn good. I mean, they, they really... They, Israel's amazing with highways. So, anyway, but I see a guy. He wants to get around a truck. So he starts merging into the, you know, the passing lane. But there's a car there. So I'm just, like, putting on my brakes. because like, this is going to be a crash. The guy, the person honks, the guy realizes, and guess what he does? He does it anyway and pushed the other car into the, into the shoulder, meaning the car survived and put on his brakes and got behind him. So I just couldn't help myself because I've never in my life seen such a thing, meaning when you're pulling into someone's lane you, you, and real, didn't realize there's someone in your blinds, but you pull back. This guy just forced the guy off the road purposely. Anyway, so I, I just never in my life saw such things, so I did, and I have a fast car, so I decided to pull up next to the guy. So I pull up next to the guy, and I give my honk, and there's two men in the front seat. <laughs> and so the guy behind the wheel looks at me like, go to hell. Like, like don't even try. Because I, I was going like, like what was that? Yeah. <laughs> you ready for this? The passenger gives me the finger. <laughs> Which I thought was hysterical. I mean, like... I just, I want, I would like, I'd love to get a beer with that guy. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy that's like, no, nah, I wouldn't make him my best friend. He's not necessarily welcome for Shabbos, but definitely an hour over some craft beer. That's the kind of guy I want to party with. <laughs> just not the response I was expecting, you know. Like, but uh, anyway, but we need to be so forgiving because God is like, he's not just forgiving, he's arranging. God's arranging these things. It's very interesting because there's a famous rabbi in America named Avi Fishoff. And Avi Fishoff, is like, I mean, people ask me all the time if I agree with his, with his, um, uh, what's the word, his approach. approach to kids from the Haredi community, the black hat community that are not on the path, meaning they've, they've dropped out. So you know what his approach is? His approach is give, give. Whatever they want, just give whatever they want. Like your kid wants, your kid wants a lo- try lobster. Yeah, hand him your credit card. Your kid wants to go to Vegas, gamble, and spend the rest of the night in a brothel. Yeah, call the travel agent and fly him out there. He's all the way, all the way. And so people ask me all the time if I'm like. Do I agree with his approach? They're thinking I'm going to be that liberal. <laughs> I'm not that liberal. I have a couple other tactics that are just a little less liberal than that, but they're probably as effective. So, but I do understand him, and I want to explain. And now maybe we're getting it with this God thing and how God just will fulfill all your desires. 
Parents are the representation of God. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the fifth of the commandments that connects you from God commandments to man commandments, meaning the first, five, first four commandments are all about man, man and God, and the second five commandments are all about God and man, like man and man, like don't steal, don't kill, don't covet, you know. So, but the bridge between them is, is the parents, honor your parents, which is a bridge because our parents are the archetype for God. Someone just told me the other day that every atheist he's ever met who's an outspoken nihilist atheist, he says whenever he's interviewed, now I don't know how many he's met, but he told me he's had at least 10 of them that are hardcore outspoken atheists who are, who are going all the way to the nihilistic, you know, millennial style, left wing, you know, BDS, you got it. So the, he, every single one of them he's interviewed, when he's gone into it with them, when they've trusted him enough to tell him, never, did not have relationships with their parents. They did not have proper relationships to their parents. Our relationship with our parents is really important with our relationship with God. They go together. And God arranges Vegas. God arranges Vegas. Does God arrange Vegas? You want to go to Vegas? Is God going to arrange that? Yeah, hope so. (laughs) Don't go to Vegas. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, the whole saying in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. (laughs) Not if you know any Kabbalah. (laughs) whatever happens in vegas is being recorded indelibly forever you know so it it doesn't stay in vegas so the vegas anyway is is just as much as this room's a projection holographic projection from the infinite well that's what vegas is and the infinite's it's made of the infinite because the infinite's causing the projection so everything is well documented in vegas now, the, um, anyway, but I'm starting to understand Avi Fishoff a little bit, Rabbi Fishoff. I'm starting to understand him a bit. Because maybe that's what this is all about. Meaning these kids are living in God's world. Avi Fishoff probably gets that God's going to let you fulfill your desires. Not just let you, he's going to arrange it for you. And so therefore, if, you're, if you blew it as a parent, now I'm going to talk about this for a moment. If you blew it as a parent, you must fix that by being godly. Get it? If you blew it, what does it mean to blow it as a parent? I'm going to give you the definition of blowing it as a parent. Here's the definition of blowing it as a parent. <laughs> I think all the parents in the room are like, uh-uh. <laughs> Not sure I want to hear this one. Yeah, but I'll give you the definition of blowing it as a parent. Making what others think more important than how your kids are doing. Okay? Making what others think more important than how your kids are doing. That is called blowing it as a parent. Now, that happens on a scale. Like, some parents, it's really important what others think, and therefore it's really unimportant how their kids are doing. And some parents, it's fairly important what others think, and it's fairly important how their kids are doing. But I believe that when a mother is pregnant with a child, and the couple's, like, really excited, you know, and they want to see the ultrasound, and they're going to put it on Facebook or whatever, and... They're all excited about that. But I believe that there's, um, and I'm going to make this up, but when they're asleep, when they, the night they find out they're pregnant, they go to sleep that night, and they're, they, they get, their souls go to heaven for an interview with God. Or an angel. An angel interviews them. And, and it says, so, uh, or it doesn't interview, it, it lectures them. So we see you're with child. And the parents are like, yeah, so excited. And uh and the, uh, and the angel says, well, it's been determined in heaven that in order for your child to become a healthy adult, 
he or she has to have one address where he is accepted. Love, cherished, all the other adjectives. No matter what. Unconditionally accepted and loved. There's got to be one address like that because, you know, the rest of the world's questionable how much they're going to love you if you can't produce for them. Produce grades, produce money, produce, you know, something. Looks, thinness, handsomeness, muscles, you know. The rest of the world, you're going to have to produce something to get your, to get your, uh, your pat on the back. But you've got to have one address where you are cherished, loved, accepted, no matter what. And we in heaven decided that no greater address than your address. And the parents are like, yeah, we agree. And then the angel says, sign. I guess they have pens in heaven, so, so they both sign. And then the angel touches them. By the way, that signature goes, you know what it goes for? It goes for that they'll stay committed to their kids over society. But you know what it goes for too? That's, that signature actually gets, it gets recorded. And it, and it moves to checkbooks for therapists later. <laughs> that same signature is going to be moved to checkbooks later. You know, I was raised I was raised by an extremely capitalistic man, like extremely. I mean, he was the American dream, which I call the American nightmare, but I was raised in the lap of luxury with this extremely capitalistic father. So I rebelled against that at 11 years old and became like this Marxist redistribution of wealth. We sh- I was a total communist left-wing guy and I, I still am. Really. I really believe in redistribution of wealth, but I know enough about God now that he redistributes the wealth <laughs> to therapists. <laughs> you see, people are really, seriously, people are really great at people. People who get people, people who can make a difference for you. They also got wives, husbands, wives, kids. They got to take care of the families. Well, who in the hell is going to pay someone because you're good with people? And the answer is the rich people who are not good with people. It's the people who made all that money and wanted to look good because generally money means power and power means virility or fertility or whatever it means to, to people. And somehow you're going to be seen as something. Whatever it is. And I've chose many years ago not to care what that is. And, but you're going to be seen as something. And, but meanwhile, your bank account just goes up and up and up and up. Well, that money's got to get distributed. Well, who's it going to get distributed to? It's going to get distributed to the people who help your children get their lives back together. Because that's a recipe for disaster for children growing up. And I'll tell you something even more powerful is that, you know, I meet people, and I'm sure I'll meet more this weekend because I'm running a Shabbaton for a thousand Hasidic families this, uh, you know, on Friday. And uh, the... Once in a while, I get a couple who come up to me and they say, yeah, they, uh, their child no longer lives in their house. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, they're so far gone from our values that, that it's, we're afraid it would poison the other children. And I'm like, the other children are already poisoned way more than your kid who could have poisoned them could have poisoned them. They're already poisoned way more. You know why? Because they just heard loud and clear. 
that this house is conditional, that love is conditional in this place. So the poison's already in, man. And you just showed them the ultimate betrayal. And they will never have another safe place to rest their eyes the rest of their lives because the only safe place in anyone's life is the home they grew up in. And if that wasn't safe, well, you're stuck. You're going to need a lot of healing now to get your heart to open up again because hearts are not interested in head. They're interested in protection. And once the heart's been hurt, it doesn't care. It doesn't even care you got a wedding band on your finger. How many couples have I counseled where the guy's pointing to the wedding band on her finger and he's saying, Rabbi, there's the ring. Where's the heart? I said, she knows. She wants. She wants to give you her heart. But it's, it, it, was, it got locked away years and years ago. Anyway, so, so now that I understand God a little better, the wealth's getting distributed properly. It's getting distributed properly, and, and uh, in the end, in the end it's, it will be a sum, what do you call it, a zero-sum uh, something? I forget what it's called. Zero-sum what? Yeah, it'll be a zero-sum game. And all the ego that, where all the money looked like it was will wind up all over the place in various, various ways. It will all work out. And being great with people is worth, worth a lot of money. And if you're great with people, and if you're really great with people, so hone in your skills, get the experience, and, and make a difference for people so that there's less madness in the world, less cycles, problems. And stuff. Speaking of all this, um, I run a well-being seminar, so there's, for those watching this from the East Coast or even the West Coast, uh, any coast, you can always fly in. There's always a couple of people fly in each seminar. I have a Muncie seminar on the 10th for men starts, 1 p.m. in Muncie. It's called The Possible You. You can look it up online and get in touch. And, and then the 11th is women's seminar, which is uh, start every day for four days, 10 to 4 p.m. Men's is non-work hours. And for men in this room, uh, I imagine you understand English. I'm, I run my seminars here in Hebrew, but I'm actually running an English one. First time in a really long time on February 24th in Jerusalem. So um, you don't be a fool. You know, like, like get there. Like, be there. Just make sure you're there. And, uh, I mean, that's like thinking you're going to get yourself out of jail is not going to be, it's just not going to happen. So give me the chance to get you out of jail. Yeah. I've got a good track record of getting people out of their own, their own little jail of their, their little story of their life, you know, their, their little narrative that they have been so vigilant to protect. Now, um, the uh, back to desire is that You want to really hone in what you want. And I'd like to bring in Judaism here, because we haven't even mentioned Judaism. So I'd like to bring in Judaism here, and that is that God gave us a real clear list. <laughs> Sorry to go so heavy here. But God gave us a really clear list. Um, not what to want, 
Besides, obviously, wanting to have a relationship with God, which is true intimacy. I mean, there's nothing more intimate than that. Now, if those of you feel it's not very intimate, it's because you don't know how to meditate. And I've been directing as many people as possible to learn meditation and then go make a bracha. Learn meditation and go do shemone essay. Learn meditation. Like, go on YouTube, learn to meditate, and go do a mitzvah. It's not a difficult thing. And that's what's missing, is that you're, you're going, you're doing prayer, blessings, mitzvahs. You're doing it with your monkey mind that's a total monkey and a rascal of a character. You're doing mitzvahs in your monkey mind. And so, and then you come to me and say, I don't feel it, Rabbi. I've been, I was raised observant, and I just don't feel spiritual. But you're not, you're not, you're not in the right mind frame. And I could put you, you know how long it would take me to put you in that mind frame? How long do you think it would take me to put this entire room into that mind frame of where it'd be a good time to be making a bracha, or a good time to do a mitzvah, or a good time to, to uh, pray? How long do you think that would take? Five minutes. No, I'll do it and I'll do it right now in twenty seconds. Ready? Not even twenty seconds. Ten seconds. <laughs> Not even ten seconds. Five seconds. Ready? Here we go. First of all, let's take a deep breath together. In preparation for the five seconds. Okay, ready? Are you aware that you are aware? Are you aware that you're aware? Meaning you're aware of me right now because you're looking at me and you're listening to me. That's true. But are you aware that you're aware of me? Is there an awareness you have that is aware of the awareness of me? Meaning I'm the object right now and the vocal cords and the sound waves are objects. Right? I'm a physical object with sound waves. That's objects. Okay? And those objects are entering into your brain, which is an awareness, right? But are you aware of that? Are you aware of that awareness? And the answer is absolutely you're aware of that. And that's all you need. It's all you need. Now, should you get disciplined in staying aware of your awareness? Yes, you need to be disciplined. Meaning now would be a great time for a prayer, or a great time for a brach, or a great time for a mitzvah. Because now that you're in the awareness of your awareness, now you're in your true essence, your true self, your soul. It's a great place to be. And it's not a complicated thing. It's like beyond simple. So simple. And in like, like in an instant, the, you having been hijacked by your thinking goes away. Because your thinking is not your awareness. Your thinking is, 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 has eclipsed your awareness. All the thoughts that clutter your mind eclipses your awareness of your awareness. And takes away well-being. And clogs arteries and can even have cells. It can even have one's actual cells turn against them cells in one's body. I mean, it doesn't sound possible for cells to turn against a person, but unfortunately we've had, all of us have lost some dear people whose bodies rebelled. 
our bodies rebel too. I mean, we get headaches and backaches and digestive stuff. I mean, we, our bodies are screaming out for inquiry, for going inside and getting into what's getting so triggered that that only a headache could mask. What's getting triggered so deep in me that only a stomachache could mask. What's getting triggered so deep that only a backache, <coughs> some chronic pain could mask. So desire is is what the whole world's made of, but we gotta be we gotta be radiating that desire from a real clean place. Torah tells us what's what to avoid. Because you know, even though God's very forgiving and even arranges, God even arranges our dumb moves, he doesn't want you to do that. It's just that he's stuck, he's got his hands tied behind his back with the whole free will thing. You know, it's really hard to have free will if God doesn't arrange your bad moves. <laughs> Can you imagine every time you try to do something wrong, God sabotages it? It's like, what, what free will would left, be left for you? So God's had his hands tied behind his back, back to be so giving and forgiving. It couldn't work otherwise. And by the way, you should know the 13 attributes of mercy, which are just 13 ways. Only Judaism would break up forgiveness into 13 ways. But there are 13 ways. They're called the 13 attributes of mercy. They come from an attribute called keter, which of the 10 spheres is the top. It's the crown. And that's called desire, which is really interesting. It's called keter's desire. It's ratzon. It makes sense, too. Because before you get, have all the 10 spheres, you've got to first have a desire to have them. God can't create the world without first wanting to, without having that desire. So therefore the crown, the catcher, the top sphere is called desire. But it's also the source of the 13 attributes of mercy. Because does God desired a world. But how are you supposed to have a world with people's free will without mercy, without having forgiveness built in? And why do they have to be 13? Is because people have a lot of stupid ways to betray their creator. A lot of stupid ways to forget. Forget we're a projection, a loving projection of this being. We don't even exist. We're just a projection of this being. And so there's a lot of ways for you to forget that we're a projection. And there's 13 ways that God forgives us. And it comes from the world of desire because the very desire that creates the world has to have built in the forgiveness. Because we have free will. And so to harness desire in this world, it makes sense to me to do the right things and avoid the wrong things. Well, how are you supposed to know what the right things are and the wrong things are? Well, right things is hard to know, but, but wrong things? We've got a nice big list, 365. And it's not coincidental with the days of the year because it puts you at the, zodiac, the solar zodiac, meaning you lose your lunar connection to the Jewish holidays. You lose that Jewish beyond the Zodiac place where you just flow with the holidays. It's like Shabbos, Wednesday, Shabbos, Wednesday, Sukkot, Tishabah. Like you can either be on the lunar thing or you, you touch the 365 negative commandments, which obviously have thousands of halachas, but you touch the 365, you immediately get shifted to your horoscope on, this, on the solar calendar. 
immediately now you're under the influence of that, you know, which is so random. It doesn't care it's Shabbos. You ever been sitting at a Shabbos table? You know, you wound up at a Shabbos table and you're like, if you're in a really lousy state of mind, and you're like, if one more person says good Shabbos to me, I'm going to punch him in the nose. Or sukkahs over the And you're like ready to kick the sukkah over. It's because your 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 state of mind doesn't if you're not with precision and accuracy avoiding the three sixty-five negative commandments, your state of mind doesn't care that it's Shabbos. Now I hate to say this, but I'm gonna go a little further and say that you gotta be in Israel to get off the lunar to get off the solar calendar. And it's amazing how I meet people. I don't care how observant they are. They go, I mean, maybe with some exceptions, but almost every person I've ever met goes by their solar birthday, even with a black hat. And that date has really very little to do with you, unless, of course, you're not keeping the mitzvahs. But if you're keeping the mitzvahs, the lunar birthday is the one that makes a difference. That's your actual, real, celestial place. But it has no influence on you. Because as long as you're avoiding those 365, you're beyond the zodiac. You're above that, and you're just riding the wave of Judaism, Jewish calendar. And uh, my name's Yom Tov. I'm built for the holidays. I've, this is like my, my field of study, where I've gone into more detail than anything else. Because I'm built for the times. I, I work in those times. Today we covered a lot of ground, and uh, it was a powerful session. Uh, please, if you're watching this on Facebook or anywhere else, share it out there. Get people subscribed on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to good stuff. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.